0: As we worship together this morning, would you join with me again? Our God and our Heavenly Father, we join together this morning here in person and online as your church with one purpose. We come together to worship you, to give you all the honor and the glory. Spend time in the singing of your praises, in praying, in the reading of your word, in the preaching of your word. And Lord, we pray through all of these things that you will be glorified and that your people would be equipped. And Lord, we know that just because there's a lockdown of sorts, that your ministry does not stop. And it brings new meaning when we to pray for those who are ill or shut in when, right now, we're all shut in anyway. And Lord, we pray that that would, as we have lost the opportunity right now to gather together as a whole body here in person, that it would give us compassion for those among our brothers and sisters who haven't had the opportunity to worship together with us Beyond just this last little while but that have been stuck at home maybe throughout this whole pandemic or longer because of their health or whatever other reason Lord we pray that you would give us compassion for one another that we would seek for ways to minister to one another and encourage one another even though we are apart and God we are So blessed by your sovereignty that you organize and orchestrate things that we never could. God, that not knowing that this lockdown was coming, we still had communion last week. That we were able to come together and share in the Lord's table. And we were to hear from our brother, Pastor Jim, of the importance of oneness as a body, oneness in purpose and oneness as a church, Lord. Lord, may we continue that and continue to strengthen and encourage one another. Lord, with this being Mother's Day, I particularly am inclined to thank you for the new mothers and the mothers-to-be. We thank you for our new mother, Paula. Our new mother, Kara Gadwa. Lord, as Kara is still in hospital, and Lord, we just pray that you would give her health and wellness, that she would be able to join together with her family. We pray for Tyson as he supports his family. And we thank you for Tyson and his, his safe arrival. Lord, we think of our sisters who still are waiting for babies to show up. Some of them definitely delayed. We think of Jay Goodbrand. We think of my wife, Sherry, and of Echo Kaju and any others, Lord. We thank you for the miracle that you are doing, knitting these children together in the wombs of their mothers. God, it is beyond our comprehension how you do that. But Lord, you do, and we are all here by, by your work in doing so, and we thank you for that. God, we also think of the mothers among us who maybe are raising children that are not of their own by birth. The adoptive mothers, the foster mothers, the kinship mothers that are looking after friends and family and people that they don't even know their children. Lord, may these mothers use this opportunity as a chance to show these children what it is to be raised by a parent who knows and loves and serves you and who places you first. May each one of the mothers and families in our congregation raise their children in the knowledge and instruction that comes from your Word. Lord, we are so blessed. We are so thankful that we can gather together in this way. And Lord, we do pray for our leaders that they would make decisions that would honor and glorify you, not out of fear or misguided thoughts, Lord, but that they might honor you with their actions. And Lord, we do not know what is the right decision in all of these things. We cannot stand firmly on anything but your word. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to do so. Lord, we commit this service into your care. We ask that in your will we might be able to continue gathering together in person sooner rather than later. That through all of these things you might be glorified. Pray these things in Jesus' name. So, like most, if not all of you, um, I wish we could be meeting together in person. And I know that there's some of us that we haven't seen in a while that maybe have learned to love the easy chair while we're in our church service. I know for myself and Sherry, there's an element of the easy chair being very appealing, particularly when you have toddlers that don't like being quiet in large groups of people. But I thank God for the opportunity we have to gather even in our small little groups and the prayer meetings and with my worship family here. And I thank God that we have families that are gathering together online to, to worship in this way also tremendously thankful for our elders council that have worked so hard to organize and lead these prayer services this morning. And for those of you who didn't have the opportunity to join with us this morning in those small prayer services, I encourage you to sign up for one of those next week and let us know if you have any other ideas how we can be encouraging one another. I genuinely pray that these new prayer meetings that we're doing would inspire a newfound commitment among the whole of Elk Point Baptist Church to the discipline of corporate prayer. It's something that we, particularly in the North American Church, have maybe walked away from a little bit more than we should have, the gathering together and praying as brothers and sisters together. And perhaps if the Lord wills it, this might be a way that He uses these trying times that we're going through for his glory and for the good of his church. May we be reinvigorated to pray both privately and corporately as a means of worshiping God. I also, since we are currently having our preaching service as an online service, if you do notice any technical issues, Um, Ed and Tony will probably hate me for this, but if you notice any technical issues, please let us know so we can try and shuffle those. Ed's giving me a look like, no, text Tony instead, maybe. But no, we we really appreciate the sound folk and the audio-video people because that's way beyond my expertise, and we thank you for all of your hard work. I also want to encourage you, as, uh, as we are meeting together as church family at home, that you would be reinvigorated in your commitment to family worship. We can't meet together as we normally would like to, and I pray that uh, you would worship together in your homes, even daily. Today we'll be spending time together in the book of Hebrews. We'll be picking back up after a passage that we engaged with now six months ago. We'd skip forward in our chronology of Hebrews, in in recognition of the loss of our dear sister Katrina. We had been working our way through, and there's a passage that comes just before what we're going to be looking at today that was particularly appropriate. We discuss from Hebrews four fourteen through 16 how in the midst of our trials and temptations and our struggles and in our sorrows, we have a high priest who is both beyond anything we can imagine and more like us than we could ever imagine. Our Savior knows what it looks like to live in a broken and a sinful world while following the commands of his Father. He understands our sorrows and our disappointments and is by his finished work on the cross that we can confidently draw near the throne of grace we also took the warning to not try to hold fast the confession of our faith by our own will we can't do it alone none of us are strong enough in and of ourselves to face the, the trials and temptations that we'll go through but Christ has faced them And he has emerged victorious over them and even over death. We're given the stunning command in Hebrews 4.16, let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in times of need. And truly, every day, each one of us faces a time of need and are in need of the grace and mercy of our Lord. So would you read with me our passage this morning? We'll start in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16 and run through to chapter 5 verse 10. Again, Hebrews 4.16 through to chapter 5 verse 10. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he is obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today have I begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are priest forever, after the order of Melchizedek. We're reminded in verse 16 of chapter 4 of this command that should absolutely blow each one of us away. That we are to draw near to the throne of grace and receive grace and mercy and to help in the time of need. And the gravity of that can only truly be understood when we frame it in reference to the Old Testament. The sacrificial system. We're going to look at A section from Leviticus chapter 16. And I think it's important for us to realize what is being commanded when we are told to draw near to the throne of grace. Leviticus 16 in particular details the day of atonement in the Old Testament sacrificial system. This is the day on which the high priest made atonement before the Lord for all the sins of the people of Israel both corporately and individually. But first the high priest was to make atonement for his own sins and those of his house. And then he was, make it, was to make atonement for the sins of all Israel. We're going to look at Leviticus chapter 16 starting in verse 11 as we go through this. Does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his finger seven times. Then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel, and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleannesses. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place, until he comes out and has made atonement for himself, and for his house, and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it, and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. And when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both his hands on the head of the live goat And Confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions all their sins And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness I know that's a a long passage and a lot of information, but For us to understand the gravity of us being able to draw near the throne of grace, we need to see what the high priests were required to do. Aaron was required to make atonement for his own sins and the sins of his house, as were the high priests after him. And he was to bring the incense in and it was a very real possibility that any high priest who went in there would be killed in the process if they were to do so in an unworthy manner. This was the one and only yearly approach before the mercy seat. This high priest was approaching the earthly dwelling place of God Most High and making atonement for the sins of Israel. It was the only time, and he was the only person that was allowed into God's presence. To approach in an inappropriate or unsanctioned manner meant certain death. We don't see it in Scripture, but many of us have heard the story of the high priests who were had ropes tied to their feet so they could be pulled out if they went in in an unworthy manner. But we don't find that in Scripture, and we don't really find that in much of the early writings, but it lends some mental picture to what they were facing going in there. In fact, the the Day of Atonement itself, that ceremony was instituted immediately after the actions of Nadab and Abihu in chapter 10 of Leviticus. Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it and laid incense on it and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Then Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord has said. Among those who are near me I will be sanctified, and before all the people I will be glorified. And Aaron held his peace. So Aaron was being commanded in this day of atonement right after his sons were consumed by fire from the Lord for approaching in an unworthy manner. But we as believers, however, by the work of Christ can approach the very throne of grace in the very courts of the Most High God and do so with confidence only because of Christ. That privilege was reserved only for the high priest and even then only once per year but it is now not only available but commanded of us that those who have confessed Christ as their Lord and Savior would approach. Our passage this morning is about how Christ's high priestly office accomplishes this amazing transformation. As sinners, we would deserve to be struck just as dead as Nadab and Abihu before God, but today we can have confident and direct access. We can approach confidently on the basis of Christ as our high priest. The purpose of the human high priest, according to our passage this morning, was to act on behalf of men in relation to God offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. And that priest was able to fulfill that function for two reasons. Because God had chosen him and because he was a man. Unchosen by God, the high priest was subject to that white hot wrath of God that was against the unholiness of and uncleanness of the people. If that high priest was not just a man, he couldn't rightly represent man before that same God. As a man, he was able to represent man because he knew what it was like and had experienced and shared in the weaknesses of humankind. The primary difference between Christ and the Old Testament high priest here was that While Aaron and the rest of the high priestly lineage all were required to make sin offerings for their own sins and the sins of their house, Christ had no such need. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ was the sinless high priest, the one who acted on behalf of his brothers. As we've continued to walk through Hebrews, remember chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, that Christ had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Christ was incarnated as a man and he had all the necessary qualifications to be mankind's high priest before God. But even... Still, at that point, he was not to be our mediator until he was chosen by the Father to do so. Our next chunk of our passage says, no one takes this honor for himself, talking about the high priest, but only when called by God just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to be made a high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, you are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. If any among us in our hearts or our minds has a question as to Christ's ability to stand as our priest, acting on our behalf, then we have only to look as far as this passage to understand that Christ was chosen by God to fulfill this role. He wasn't a de facto mediator. God wanted Christ in this position. And I'm not going to get too far into the designation of Christ as a priest in the order of Melchizedek this morning. That's going to be treated a little more thoroughly in chapter 7. So, Lord willing, we will get there at some point. But for the purposes of our time this morning, and the fact that there's a whole lot of reading to be done on that topic, just know that Melchizedek is only mentioned twice outside of the book of Hebrews. Once in Psalm 110, and most importantly in Genesis 14. In Genesis 14, Abraham is blessed by Melchizedek, the king of Salem, who is identified simply as a priest of the Most High God. The point here, again, particularly in this passage, is that Christ has been appointed to a legitimate high priestly role. We're going to spend the rest of our time on the last four verses of our passage this morning. And there are three elements in there that should really raise our eyebrows at first glance. Read with me, starting in verse 7. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears, to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. So three items. Christ was saved from death, Christ learned obedience. And Christ was made perfect. All of those should kind of make us kind of cock our eyebrows at first. They seem counterintuitive. And let's deal with the first one. How can it be that Christ was saved from death? If Christ didn't die, then he hasn't been raised. And Paul said in 1 Corinthians 15 that if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. So how was Christ saved from death? The image this conjures up is of Christ in the Garden of Gethsemane, praying, My Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. We are told that his prayer was heard. But his salvation from death was not that he avoided death. His salvation from death was that death would not hold him. These four verses, brothers and sisters, really give us some of the most relatable and important evidences of Christ's humanity. And this one pretty well takes the cake. Obviously, Christ's prayer was that if God willed, he would save him from the fate that he knew was coming. But God's answer to that prayer was different than the one expected and hoped for. The fact that that cup, the cup that Christ had to drink, the cup that resulted in him being crucified and dying on the cross, was not removed. And that qualifies Christ as to sympathize with his people. When you and I are faced with the mystery and the trial of seemingly unanswered prayer, our hard priest was tested in the same way and did not escape. Our priest submitted to the will of God. And in this way, we run into our second counterintuitive evidence of Christ's humanity. Christ learned obedience. As a father, this is is my everyday world. I want to see my children learn obedience, first and foremost to Christ, and by association, hopefully, to Sherry and I as parents. But how does that happen? We as humans typically learn obedience by the way of consequences. Positive reinforcement, positive consequences when things go well for us because we obeyed. And negative consequences when we disobey. That's kind of the normal route, but that wasn't Christ's experience. Christ never disobeyed to see negative consequences heaped on him for his disobedience. He was perfect. So, how did he learn obedience? He learned obedience in the fact that he humbled himself, becoming human. He became the one for whom obedience, that is, following the will of God and the commands of God, had real consequences. From eternity past, Christ was a member of the Trinity, of the Godhead. As God, Christ literally made the rules. He was the will that was to be followed. But in the days of his flesh, that will had teeth. In the days of his flesh, Christ was tempted and tried and beaten and spit upon and reviled and eventually crucified. All he had to do to get out of that was deviate. I think of Christ's time in the desert being tempted by Satan and Satan throws all sorts of different things at him. You're hungry, make bread. Bow down and worship me, and I'll deal with all of this, and you can even be my kind of second in command. All Christ had to do was deviate, swerve from that path of reconciliation which was predicted from the very beginning in the Garden of Eden, when God said to the serpent, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall crush your head and you shall bruise his heel. If Christ had just taken that easy path, the one that has that wide gate and boasts of comfort and carefree days, then he could not have been our high priest. But he didn't take that path. He adhered to the narrow and hard way that leads to life, and in doing so, he learned obedience. And in learning obedience, he was made perfect. Not that for a moment Christ was ever imperfect in and of himself. Christ was and is God. But in Christ's obedience, he became our perfect Savior. He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey him. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Elk Point Baptist Church, to anyone else listening online, that is the foundation of Christian hope. We may draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. And we may do so because Christ is, Has acted and is currently acting on our behalf in relation to God. And that God has set in motion. Therefore, holy brothers and sisters, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, just a few verses before our verse today. Jesus condescended, he came down, he humbled himself to become a man that he might act on man's behalf in relationship to God. An act he did. Christ lived and he died on our behalf. For our sake, God made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Because of this, not only do we have the promise of resurrection and eternal life in the future, even now today... We receive God's mercy and His grace in our times of need. And this grants us what we need to hold fast to the confession of our faith. All this ties really tightly together. Without Christ, we would be totally lost in our sin. But Christ came and lived and died and rose and lives again. And He is seated at the right hand of the Majesty on high. And He did those things as both true God and true man. In fact, we're told earlier in Hebrews, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. The moral of the story here is humanity's total inability to save ourselves And God's goodness in sending Christ to do what needed to be done on our behalf. Don't you think that if man could have done it, he would have? Don't you think that if there was another way that God could have saved humanity besides sending his one and only son, that he would have spared his son the humiliation and the agony of a life lived on earth culminating in one of the most horrific deaths that humanity has ever come up with. Christ is the only source of eternal salvation. The only one. No amount of good works, no amount of being a good person, no amount of prophets or gurus or whatever you want to cling to will make up that difference. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the criteria, criteria for us is that we obey Him. The criteria for salvation is that you and I would confess Jesus as Lord. If we do so, then the strength to accomplish, and to hold fast to that confession comes as we draw near to the throne of grace to receive mercy and grace that we need. And to bring us full circle, we only receive that grace and mercy as a gift of God based not on ourselves, but on the purifying work of Christ, our high priest, who became the sacrifice in our place. We have no claim on the honor or the glory of our own salvation. The glory for our salvation is entirely from our Lord. And brothers and sisters, I know that these last year and a half plus, much longer than that for some of us, have been full of confusions and frustrations. I don't know about you, but for most of us, we could say that our whole lives have been filled with all sorts of things that seek to drag our focus and our attention away. But particularly lately, all of these things that come with our current day and age, let's not allow our focus to be removed from Jesus. Jesus the Son of God, our perfect High Priest. Don't let whatever it is that you're facing today and tomorrow and this week tear your eyes from Him for a moment. Don't let whatever it might be divert your focus. And if you feel that focus on Christ beginning to waver, come before the throne of grace on the basis of Christ's work Then you will receive mercy And find grace to help you in your time of need That's the only way you're going to get through this week That's the only way that you're going to get through this pandemic That's the only way you're going to get through Being a mom to crazy toddlers It's the only way you're going to get through family troubles It's the only way you're going to get through money troubles it's the only way you are going to get from point A to point B through this life. And it's the only hope for our salvation. As the worship team comes and leads us in a, a closing song, I ask that you would, you would pray with me as we close. Our God and our Heavenly Father, We could not be more in awe of You. Or at least we think we couldn't. We pray that You would open our hearts and our minds that we would be made to be more in awe of You. Lord, there is no way for us to wrap our heads and our hearts and our minds around what You have done for us. And there is no way for us to do it ourselves. So Lord as we face the trials of the week to come we ask that you would cause us to do so clinging to the promise of mercy and grace from you. And even as Pastor Jim spoke last week about the oneness of your body we thank you that if we do find our focus wavering that we have brothers and sisters in the church who are keen to point us right back to the author and the perfecter of that faith. And Lord, if we do have brothers and sisters coming to us looking for that, we ask that you would help us to lay aside the therapeutic advice, the good-intentioned ideas, and first let us point them back to Christ. But let us not stop there. Let us strengthen and encourage one another in any means we have available to us. That none among us would find that we have need, that we cannot find help from our brothers and sisters in the church. That we might be known in the world as ones who love one another. And that love would speak volumes to our world about your church. God, our world is a hard place to live. We struggle to obey You in even the most basic of things. We find ourselves time and again asking why are we doing the things that we don't want to do and not doing the things that we want to do. God, our Savior learned obedience to You. And we pray that you would teach us what it means to obey you. And that when we stumble and when we fall, we would look to Christ who never stumbled, who never fell, and be oh so grateful that he has acted on our behalf. Oh so grateful that our own salvation does not depend on our works and what we have done, but it depends on the completed work of Christ. And that we might repent of our sins, turn from them, put them to death, and pursue pursue you all the more. Lord, we commit this to you. Praise things in Jesus' name. Amen.